The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And we're having deluges of rain uh, in my hometown, Victoria, this last couple of weeks. The scorpionic energies are really uh, doing a big cleansing job in our part of the world, for sure, as well as all the floods and things that are happening around the world. And we are going to be talking about astrology today with my guest, Alison Chester Lambert, who's written a book, Really interesting and different book called The Future in the Stars, The Astrological Message for 2012 and Beyond. And it must be interesting for you, Alison, having started doing your research and early writings for this book probably six to eight years ago. And now we're actually coming to the fruition of of what you said in the book. That must have been quite interesting for you. Absolutely. Uh, It's really strange to think, actually, that back in 2004, when I started, actually, I didn't start writing a book. I started writing an article. And then three years later, I found out I had a book. (laughs) But um, when I started writing the first article in 2004, such things as climate change was really fringe. I mean, they were like way fringe of mainstream. I mean, you you really wouldn't get them on the news at all. Uh, I mean, people that talked about climate change smoked joss sticks and wore caftans. Um, And of course, now climate change is mainstream news. It's on the news, etc. Everybody's aware of it. And it seems funny that that's only happened in eight years. I think when we look back at this phase in a decade or so to come, we will see that we accelerated so fast but didn't even know we were if you see what i mean at um yeah when you're when you're in the midst of something you don't always see that bigger perspective as things certainly are shifting so so give our listeners a bit of an insight because you took the book is essentially about the dwarf planets really i suppose led by pluto and and pluto's demise as it were as a a planet so give our listeners a little bit of an understanding of of the dwarf planets and why why they were significant and, and why you wrote the book about them yeah. Um, but Pluto's demise. It's I always uh, laugh when I hear that, actually, because um, I don't actually think you can kind of like get rid of Pluto. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, what happened was it, it's not so much that we, we saw the death of Pluto. We actually saw the birth of Pluto's mates. Um, Mut- Pluto was in a, a huge gang. And and let's just imagine, for instance, an old um, American Indian and cowboy film. Right. So it's like the bit where 
um, one Indian comes up over the hill to the right there. And you see that one Indian and the cowboys are all shooting at him. Um, and then 30 seconds later, the Indian is joined by his gang. And there are thousands of Indians all bearing down. Um, and it's pretty much like that, actually. It, we, Pluto was that first Indian. So we looked at him, I guess, and we thought, oh, yeah, another planet. OK, well, that's right. Then that's just another planet. But he he was never just another planet. He was never meant to be. He was in a whole different group of space objects. Um, and we've just discovered him first. So um, it, it's wonderful that he was the first of his kind. Um, but I, I don't think he's been upset by us discovering his family. Um, what I'll do is I'll just kind of go back over, over the story, really, because what happened was um, way back around 2004, 2005, um, they began a whole new space exploration um, at Caltech, actually, in California, they were given a brief to search for new things in the sky. Um, and as part of that whole overall endeavor, um, there were a group of astronomers who were briefed to search a different part of the sky for new objects. Now, that sounds weird. Why would they look in a different part of the sky? But you have to understand the solar system to understand why we'd never done that before, because the solar system is built up. In a, in a, on a flat plane. It's kind of like a dinner plate. Um, so if you can imagine looking at a dinner plate from the side with a, a fried egg in the middle. So you're looking at the sun. That's the fried egg in the middle. And then around, circling around the sun on the flat plane are all the planets. And they're all pretty much in a regular um, place. You, you can predict where the next one's going to be. Um, there's a law that dictates where the next one's going to be. Um, and so if they were ever looking for another planet, they were always looking further out on that plane. Um, the Paloma um, Space Survey, which they um, which they undertook in 2004, 2005, looked off that plane. The plane is called the ecliptic and they looked off the ecliptic. They started to, to look in those different parts of the sky for planets because something had told them because of gravity and perturbations, which means the way that the outer planets are moving. Something told them something else must be there. Let's have a look. So they had a look and hey, presto, they discovered thousands of new objects. And it turned out that, um, for instance, if we were if we went out into space and we looked back at our solar system. So a solar system is a, a solar, a sun with a system of planets around it. If we went back out and we looked back into our solar system, instead of seeing it as a flat plane, if you include this new area or all this new belt of rocky planets, it's called the Kuiper belt. If you include that now, it would be like looking back at a wasp's nest, at all these things buzzing around. Um, and so it's no longer this flat plane. Now it's this huge wasp nest with loads and loads of different things going everywhere. Um, and, and that's that's what they discovered. And they made an announcement in 2006, um, a big official announcement and said, hey, we've we've found all these extra planets. We can't keep adding extra planets because if we do, we'll have to change the school books every time we discover a new planet. And that's way too much printing. Um, so they decided that the planets we'd known about before, they would be the classical planets. And anything we found after that would have the title dwarf planet. Um, and so that we didn't have to keep printing the school books. Um, and so that's what they did. And now, now I looked at that, that whole thing. And I went, oh, wow, this is so massive. Imagine what this does to astrology. 
Because if we look back, say, to the 17th century, the last time we had a huge disturbance um, in, in our information and knowledge about the, the solar system, then that revolution, if you like, in our knowledge about astronomy and the solar system always coincided with a huge leap in the growth of mankind, always coincided with a huge, grief, uh, a huge leap in, in what we know, technology, um, all kinds of, of educational academic systems would suddenly leap forward and grow. So I looked at that and I thought, whoa, this is another huge leap in our knowledge of the solar system. This has got to be coinciding with a huge leap in areas such as technology, industrial areas, commercial areas, um, but spiritual areas, every area of endeavour for, for humankind. Um, it had to coincide with that. So I looked at it and I thought, wow, well, there's going to be some really great astrology written about this then. And there wasn't. In fact, nobody was writing very much at all. Everybody was getting all sniffy and saying, Pluto's not. Well, either there was people supporting Pluto's and saying it was a dwarf planet or people crying and sobbing and writing to their members of parliament saying, bring Pluto back. Um, and I realised nobody was going to do any serious research. Um, I'm actually a master's student. I'm in my final year of dissertation year next year. Um, and so I wanted to do some some serious research. I, I, and I didn't do this for my master's, but I, I did start my own personal research into them. Um, and um, I came up with more and more and more. So the article eventually turned into a book and I started to recognize that we had a plan here, that the cosmos was giving us the symbolism to describe our future in the 21st century. This is not just about 2012. This is about a whole new era in terms of a century and centuries. And I, and I recognized that this was just huge. I wrote at the beginning of the book, 2000 years ago, three astrologers rode into Jerusalem on camels and announced that a new star in the east meant a Messiah would be born. Um, and I just I just see this book as another translation job done by an astrologer. You know, the way you describe that, it feels very much to me as if there's a shift from that uh, planar linear way to this much more multidimensional existence that we are moving into. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well done. Because um, Pluto is tiny, right? Um, but one of the things that um, has occurred as, as, as the time's gone on, we've recognized that Pluto isn't one planet. We've always thought Pluto was one planet. It was two. There was a huge moon hiding behind him. And he obligingly turned to the side and revealed this massive great planet at the side of him, almost the same size of himself. Now, just as that was happening, we were getting into subatomic areas at the Large Hadron Collider in CERN, and they were breaking down the particles. And so particle physics was becoming, you know, huge. Um, and I just as you've said, I see that that exploration and that emergence of a tiny particle world with greater complexity I mean, weirdly, this, the smaller things get, the more we're able to look at tiny things, the more complex they get, the more multi, multifaceted they get. And so if you think about the solar system before and how plain and ordinary it was, and then you think about how it is now with extraordinary. There is one planet, one of these new planets is cigar shaped and turns over and over and over. Um, and it turns over in four hours. That's like the Earth whizzing around in four hours, not 24 there are some really weird objects out there. So, yeah, it presents us with a, a new spiritual paradigm, which is full of magical, 
stuff, which is strange and weird, but wow, it opens up a whole new frontier. I mean, North America's used to opening up new frontiers, so <laughs> you should you should all be primed and ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we are. I think we are. So um, it would be great. I mean, I'm, we've got a, a short time to our first break, probably a couple of minutes. But it'd be great if you could just perhaps um, introduce some of these dwarf planets and, and perhaps just give us a an indication of what they what they mean to you in terms of this time period. Mm. Well, just quickly then to say the first thing is Mike Brown, who was the astronomer in charge of the whole uh, Paloma Quest survey. He he completely broke away from tradition. He, this is a maverick Californian um, and he decided to name these planets not after the old Roman pantheon. So the gods and goddesses of Rome, Italy, where Europe was the centre of everything and all planets got named after Italy. Um, no, no, no. He broke away and went, right, OK, we're going to name these new planets after deities, goddesses and gods from all over Polynesia um, and Iceland. Um, and he just broke all the rules and he said, no, we're just going to I'm going to go and pick, you know, the god of Easter Island and the goddess of, of Hawaii, etc. So the first thing he did was break all the rules and say, now the whole planet is brought into our understanding and the previous deities and religions of all kinds of cultures from centuries ago become important. So we have Sedna, um, which isn't actually part of the Kuiper Belt. Sedna is way, 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 way further out, but she was discovered along with the, the other discoveries. So she was a goddess of the Inuit people uh, of northern way, Alaska, way up, way high Greenland. Um, and then we have um, Homea, a Polynesian deity from uh, Hawaii, um, who emerged the same time as Obama did, actually. And of course, Obama's from Hawaii. So that was an interesting one. Um, Maki Maki, who was the creator god of Easter Island. Um, Ceres, she existed before. She existed in a rocky belt of, of stuff um, lower down in the solar system, closer to the sun. But whereas Pluto was demoted, she was promoted. Um, and so she was it was decided she wasn't an asteroid. She was going to be a dwarf planet. Um, and then uh, last but not least is Eris, um, who is a, oh, a mega female goddess, you know, with a great gusto who brings in strife and rivalry and huge energy. I, I think that just about covers them briefly. Wow. So we are actually going to break now, Alison. So when we come back, I'm just going to ask you to give us a little bit of an insight into the uh, actual qualities, if you like, that, that these uh, uh, energies are bringing forth for this time period. Mm -hmm. OK, lovely. Yeah. It's a Peter Tone for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. 
Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M-T-V dot com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertong.com and also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. Uh, both of those websites giving you all sorts of information about what is happening in the world. It's very hard to keep up. As uh, Alison said earlier, in, in universal time, things are happening very quickly, and it's hard to keep up with all the changes that are taking place. But I'm doing my best to do so, and so please do visit those two websites for all of the information on the work that we are doing. Now, listen, I just want to mention the Mike Brown story because it's, it's a, an area of great fascination of mine, and that is why people do what they do with such profound uh, insight without necessarily knowing. And, you know, the fact that he chose to name these uh, dwarf planets in this particular way, and then you begin to see these connections and synchronicities. And did he know what he was doing or didn't he? Was it conscious? Was it unconscious? It's a whole other topic, but it's one that absolutely fascinates me. Absolutely. And it's a question I get asked a lot. Uh, and so I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> I, I think what, what conclusion have you come to? <laughs> I think I've come up with an answer. OK. Astronomers are a funny bunch, you know, because uh, <laughs> they, they have the same love of the planets that astrologers have. And yet they resolutely stick firmly to the story that they don't mean anything. We just measure them. We, we revere the cameras and the equipment that we use, but we don't think those planets mean a thing. And I always look at them and think, oh, go on. You, you must have a little bit of something in there. But, but anyway. So I, do, I, do know, I do know one guy who does both. <laughs> yeah, 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 some of them do, but don't admit it. Yeah. Um, so, so an astronomer sits there night after night studying the images of a new discovery, right? He looks at it and looks at it and looks at it. He has to write academic papers on it. And I think what happens that as he's doing that, that planet talks to him. Um, and I think something magical, like the hand of God takes over at that point. Now, I will just explain about Mike Brown's personal story, why this was going on, because that's quite interesting. His wife had become pregnant and every night he was lying in bed and he was holding his wife's belly and he was feeling the young Layla, as she was to be called when she was born, oh, wow. his young daughter moving in his wife's tummy. 
And he would go to work and he would look at these planets and then he would go home and he'd get into bed at night and he'd feel his daughter moving around. And he said um, in his blog that he was completely moved that whole time with a huge sense of creation and fecundity. I love that word fecund. It means rich and ripe. Um, he was absolutely filled with this fecundity and this great stirring knowledge that he had created something with his wife, that something was growing. Um, and so you have to bear in mind that that's where he was at that time. Um, and so he wanted to pick planet. OK, he's maverick and he, he breaks the rules. And if you if you, if you follow Mike Brown, then you'll see, oh, he certainly does. Um but he also was filled with this great fecundity and this great belief in creation. And so he wanted to pick creator gods and creational stuff. Um, and he set out some other standards as well with the um, with the astronomical union. He, he decided that certain areas of the Kuiper Belt, this newfound air in space, he divided it up and said any planets found there have to be have to come from deities to do with creation. Any planets found in this area have to do. The names that they will be given them, that has to come from underworld deities. So he, he did such a great job. He might as well have been an astrologer the way he did it. <laughs> um, so so that's, I think, you know, where he was at. And you can say, OK, so then you have to believe in the great collective unconscious. You have to believe in world soul. And this, is, of course, is a Carl Jung concept that um, we are all individually um, plugged in to the world soul because we all have an unconscious and our unconscious has a dialogue with the great unconscious. And so I think um, certain individuals who are in positions of great importance like this are plugged into this Zeitgeist, as they say in Germany, um, and they become a mouthpiece for something that the collective needs to get out into the open, needs to emerge. Now, we've got some history on this in astrology, because if we go back to the the discovery of Uranus, Uranus was one of the was the first planet to be discovered because all the others had always been there. As long as there had been human beings, you can see the first seven in the sky. So but Uranus had to be discovered using a telescope. Uranus was discovered around the time of Great Revolution, French just before French Revolution, American Revolution. And to this day, Uranus is still about revolution. And when Neptune was discovered, it was the uh, the age of romance and everything was mystical and it was love and pure white love and uh, and, and very um, unstructured. And Neptune represents those things. So we do have in astrology a tradition of knowing that when something emerges uh, as a, a symbol into the collective, when we look at a planet or an asteroid and recognize its existence, then that is coincidal or synchronous, to use Carl Jung's term. It is synchronous with something which is emerging in the collective on a spiritual level, on a collective level, on all levels. And so in astrology, we're getting the symbolism as we need to get that symbolism because we are breaking into new worlds. Um, so it's, it's a whole new paradigm. And here it's all it, it's like sea level going down and revealing all the rocks underneath and the structures it's the level goes down and it all gets revealed at once it doesn't look as if it's connected but underneath it is connected because it's all sitting on on the sand and the rocks but you only see a few of them to start with the tall ones as they stick out 
So let's actually talk a little bit then about the collective gang, this 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 collection of dwarf planets, and and their emergence now, and what you see as the significance of that. Um, okay, so um, Ceres was the one that is closer to us, um, and suddenly she was picked on, and it was decided that she was going to be a dwarf planet. Um, Ceres has um, a wonderful mythology. It was it, she actually was named in 1801, so she was named and already had the name of a, of a, a Greek goddess, Roman goddess. They're the same, Greek and Roman. So Ceres, Demeter, Persephone, they're all names around the same similar sort of goddess. Um, and she has some very rich mythology anyway. And so it, it was very easy to look at her mythology and see straight away that she was coming in with a certain story. And um, she was known as the great grain goddess. She supports cereals and crops and food production. And it's been easy to see since her promotion in 2006 that yes we need a symbol for food production one of the startling um, facts that has emerged in the last few years is that we need to produce as much food in the next 50 years as we produced in the last 10,000 that's an amazing fact it's pretty, it? sta pretty startling isn't it yeah, yeah in terms of tonnage the same amount of food needs to be produced in the next 50 years as produced in the last 10,000. That's the extent to which the population has grown. Um, and so we, in the same way that the Romans needed a goddess of grain when they introduced her because they, they were starving, they were going through, um, they had famine, they had severe weather going one way than the other. Um, and so they introduced Ceres into Rome to try and help them save the crops. So I think that her introduction is about... Um, having a symbol to look at crop production and to look at crop failure and crop surplus. Um, she's a symbol of life and death. She represents the life and death cycle. So she represents a grain of seed as it gets put into the underground, the underworld, so the underworld silos. Um, then it gets put into the under the earth. It's in darkness in the underworld. It sprouts. It grows. It becomes the young maiden or the young ceiling. It grows into motherhood. It grows into the old crone. It harvests it. It withers. It dies. The seeds are put back into the underground. She represents that whole cycle. And she represents that in human beings as well. So she represents it in, in children um, and, you know, the whole thing of, of, of us giving birth and us protecting our young. And she also represents um, Isis um, and the great goddess in general. So so that's her. Now, I think she's come in because we needed a, a return to the great goddess after an absence of over a thousand years. So that that's um, that's her. Um, she actually she sounds, she sounds like she's pretty important. <laughs> Yeah, 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 she is. I think they're all important, but that, yeah. yeah, she is. She's actually connected to Pluto in myth because in myth, her daughter Persephone is um, raped uh, and abducted and kidnapped by Pluto, the lord of the underworld. He takes her down into the underworld and um, he makes her his queen and together they rule the underworld. The strange thing about that is that um, we have since found out that these two planets used to be connected thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago when the solar system was being formed um even though they're like four million miles four billion miles four million miles away from each other um they are made of the same stuff um even though they're terribly far from each other so it's strange that we've got mythology that ties them together when they're nowhere near each other in the solar system so that's just a weird one um so that's her pluto 
Well, um, Pluto represents evolution. He represents everything that is incredibly powerful. So atomic, atomic power. Um, he represents um, the underworld um, and great transformation. Um, I mean, he, he's represented in the serpent. The serpent is in all the great creation stories from the serpent in the Bible through to the serpent in Egypt. Um, and he's, he's just incredibly powerful and he brings things from the dark into the light. So he, he, he brings from, he brings things from behind reality into reality. Um, and, um, he's also about Kundalini wealth, but on wealth on a soul level transformation all levels nuclear energy that sort of stuff um so shall i carry on yeah please do yeah yeah that's great <laughs> okay um then there's maki maki um and i think you pronounce that meki meki but it's awfully hard to keep going meki meki so i'll just go <laughs> maki maki okay um so maki maki was the um the creator god of Easter Island. The strange one about him was that um, he was only known on Easter Island. Uh, and the whole of Polynesia had very similar gods and deities. But on Easter Island, there was only Maki Maki. Um, and for him, what I had to do was I had to look at um, what evidence we had. What, what what did we have that we could look that I could look at about Easter Island? And, and there I saw an incredibly sad story. Um, amazing. Those islanders, I mean, they carved the Moai or those huge statues. And when you, when you actually look at their accomplishment there, it would have taken more of them in terms of endeavor and hardship and how hard they worked to produce what they did than it would have taken the Egyptians to build the pyramids. I mean, Man per what they achieved, it would have been a greater endeavor to produce the moai that they did. I mean, they had about six or seven hundred of these things on the island, weighing tons and tons and tons, and they they carved them all with these tiny little flint picks. That's all they had. Um, the um, there was a holocaust on that island. Um, Thirty thousand islanders were killed, decimated, kidnapped um, in just a few years in the nineteenth century, um, and so there is a whole story there. It's like a microchism um, of what can happen to a whole population when we, when things aren't done properly. I mean, it was held to start with that the islanders did it to themselves, that they chopped down the last tree, that they mindlessly fried the last seabird, ate the last egg. But it has emerged since that that is not the case. I mean, these islanders were truly spiritual people. They revered their God. They loved Maki Maki. Um, and they had oh, an incredible heritage and culture. Um, but what happened was the invaders from Europe, they brought with them venereal disease. They brought with them European disease and wiped them out. Um, there's a lovely story, actually, about what we know about the island and its soil since we have since discovered um, there's a, a strange kind of elixir or substance in the soil there, which is called rapamycin. And um, it turns out that that prolongs life. And so these islanders, maybe they called Maki Maki, maybe Rapamycin was Maki Maki in, in some ways. But um, anyway, they when they the blackbirders, the, the kidnappers were going over there and loading them into the boats to take them to go and work on the plantations in the New World. Um, the, the Easter Islanders would die 200 miles from the island. They would just fall over and die, dozens of them. And then the, the Europeans used to go back and get a few more. How awful. And very few of them actually made it to the plantations to work as slaves. 
Well, what must have been happening was the people of Easter Island must have had this rapamycin in their blood from the food that they ate, from the water they drank. And it used to boost their immune system and they used to live to 200 years old. Um, but when they got taken from the island and they got given different water and food, they died. Their immune systems couldn't cope. Um, so, th so there's all kinds of things like that. Uh, there's a lovely. Um, so, Alison, before you go on, we're up to our next break, actually. So I'll break you there okay. and we'll sure. continue on our return with Alison. It's Pinatone for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. In these changing times, the journey toward global consciousness has never been more important. Gaim TV is the first online video library dedicated to support your journey toward global and personal discovery. Our viewers enjoy unlimited access to our vast selection of inspiring interviews, engaging films, and award-winning wellness videos. And we invite you to try it for free. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to start your free trial. The journey starts now. That's G-A-I-A-M-TV.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tan. just want to remind you of my uh, sponsors for this 13-week series of shows, Guyam TV, offering you the opportunity to assist in your awakening journey through online videos with uh, wonderful uh, original interviews with some of the great visionaries of our time. And if you want to click on the banner on the host page for this show, there is a 10-day free trial with GaiamTV, G-A-I-A-M-T-V.com. Having me today, Alison Chester-Lambert, I'm having a very interesting discussion about the dwarf planets but, Alison, I want to shift energy a little bit now because I, what I want to do is to bring us into this current time and uh, give our listeners some insight about how they themselves can uh, work through this fascinating time that we're in in terms of their connection through astrology and through the energies that are uh, really coming into our world at this time. And I know one of your lines, because I've seen it on, uh, on your Skype and, and elsewhere, is to know thyself. 
So yes. just talk a little bit about that for us. <laughs> that was on the Oracle at Delphi. Um, so it was a, a huge thing in Greece, uh, ancient Greece, classical Greece. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it, this for me is the answer to all of this. Right. So we we're in a period of great change um, and the dwarf planets are there telling us all this. And we've got this whole new, newly formatted solar system. Um, and so this has got to tell us about the fact that we're going into, a, you know, boldly going into places that my, no man has ever trodden before or what have you. Um, so how does how do we feel comfortable? There's something about how we can get fearful about that, how we can some of it, the things that we're heading towards, some of it we may not like, some of it we might find difficult, some of it we may find scary, but it's coming anyway. So we have to find ways of dealing with the future. And, and the two main ways of, of feeling comfortable with the future is on the one hand, you can do it in the way that it was done um, in the past. You can just have a, a blind and utterly devout trust in, in your God and the divine, so much so that you have no fear. And then you just give yourself up for that judgment. And that's one way of doing it. And that's great. Or you have to know yourself completely and you need to have taken every single latent strength and weakness and opportunity and developed it to its fullest potential. When, when you've suffered and struggled with all your insecurities and your deepest fears and your darkest feelings, you will have done voluntarily what life was going to do anyway. And, and you'll have given yourself a firm sense of security, um, confidence and purpose. So you will feel safe then. So life then holds no fear. You, you feel as if you're on a much more stable ground. Um, can I, shall I just tell you what I think the purpose of life is? That might be useful. Oh, please do. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think the whole purpose of life is to take the um, the raw material of our in innate potential and to put it through a sort of a commando training course of experience. And our, our soul is preconditioned to do that anyway. So come what may, our soul will want to take us through this commando training course of life because it wants to draw to it what it needs to struggle with in order to grow in wisdom because pain and gain are proportional. So if we can get enough pain, then we can get enough gain. And I think the soul is conditioned to do that. So we're born with a, a cosmic blueprint in our hand, and it's the soul's job or the responsibility of the unconscious to navigate the waters and to achieve the journey. So our unconscious will, will magnetize or, or constellate into our life all of the people and the experiences that our conscious needs to have in order to achieve our highest purpose, um, to get the maximum amount of wisdom, which the soul then takes when it dies and passes through the veil. That The soul is like blotting paper, so it holds all the learnt wisdom. So when you pass through the veil or die with this, you pour all that learnt wisdom back into the great collective soul lake uh, on the other side, um, you know, the, the great collective unconscious, the cosmos. And, and when you pour all your collected wisdom into that, you, you raise the whole, um, the whole of the great soul lake is raised in value. It's raised in wisdom. Each soul as it dies pours in and makes that contribution. So in your life, you fall in love with people you need to fall in love with. You have the events and crises that you need to experience and you trip over <laughs> whatever is going to make you find out about yourself to really get to know yourself. Um, now, if you're willing to learn about yourself anyway, then you can accelerate your growth, your soul's growth and get to that learning under your own steam. 
And then life won't have to drop the difficult and challenging events in front of you because you'll be learning them anyway. So your life is less like a, a whirlwind and it's more like a, a gentle breeze. Now, <laughs> one, of, one of my favourite lines in the whole book, uh, which I'd love you to, to expand on because it's, it's totally relevant to what you've just said, is that astrology is able to offer an unrivaled framework for self-analysis and spiritual awareness. So just follow on what you've just said with that in mind. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't, I don't know of a better uh, framework. I'll, I'll just explain why. The, the solar system is a model of a human being or a human being is a miniature of the solar system. You could see it that way. Now, that's handy because it means we can use the planets and the model of the solar system to see what's going on with ourselves. So I'll just I'll just elaborate on that. So the solar system, like I said, is the central sun with planets spinning around it. And the sun at the center is like the central fire within you. So it's your spirit or will. You're in a spark uh, of life and power. And then just outside that, there is a planet, Mercury. And Mercury uh, describes how you learn to talk and think, how you analyze and discover. Then comes the planet Venus, and that planet describes your sense of identity. So it's your self-esteem, what you give yourself to make yourself feel good, the way you grab, go for success, what you desire. After that, you've got the moon, and that describes your unconscious, the things that operate on an inner level, so your security and your inner emotions and fears. Then you've got Mars. That's all about your anger your defense mechanisms, your overall assertiveness. Then we get Jupiter, and that's how you expand or cope with expansion, how you cope with expansion and spiritual growth. And then finally, Saturn, how you cope with restriction and fear and loss. So those are all your nuts and bolts. And those are the archetypal tools that we all have. Now, what astrology will do is describe the flavor or energies that these parts of your personality operate in and the relationship that they will all have with each other. And that's different in all of us, depending when you were born. So in a personal reading with a client, for instance, I'm able to describe to that person every inch of their potential and the raw material that they work with. So it's like taking strands of a spaghetti out of a bowl and laying them all out um, side by side for examination. So they can really get to know their separate bits. So we can all really get to know our separate bits and handle them like horses that pull our chariot. We can we can bring all these things in, give them reins, use them as horses in front of us. And when we've got the reins in our hands, then we are the charioteer. We're in charge. If these horses, parts of our personality are in the dark, we can't manage them. They'll bite us on the bum when we don't expect it. Um, and they're, they're just outside of our control. We're not in charge of our life at that point. So for me, yes, astrology, when you look at it like that, you can see that it's just a master framework. It, it's just it's, it's just given to us <laughs> for us to understand everything as far as I'm concerned. But hey, I'm an astrologer. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we are approaching this uh, this date that everybody's been excited about, December 21st, 2012. So, oh, what, yeah. so what are you seeing in the stars for this next few weeks and beyond? Oh, dear. Um, OK, so everybody, <laughs> everybody's about to turn off now because I'm, I'm, I'm the great 2012 debunker. 
I, I looked at all this when I wrote uh, when I wrote the book. It didn't have the extra chapter. I wrote the book. That was the end of it. And then because the 2012 thing was coming up and I was getting all these phone calls and people were genuinely scared. The publisher said, can you just stick an extra chapter on the end just to, to allay fears? So that's what I did when I started to look into the 2012 thing. And remember, I'm a master's student here. I, I, I looked into it with an eye of somebody who researches, you know, research is king. And all I found at the bottom of all this, I found a hell of a lot of people who want to sell books. So there was a heck of a lot of that going on. And there was a heck of a lot of sensationalism going on. And a heck of a lot of people have created a whole industry around it. But at the bottom of it is this main prediction about the end of the 13th back turn. But in actual fact, there is only one inscription on one piece of stone in one place in the whole of where the main civilization was, Mesoamerica. Um, and it just says, and this is the, this is all we can discern. There's nothing else. It just says the return of the nine. Now, the end is broken off. Parts of it are, are defaced. So there's no way of us knowing at all. Nobody could possibly know anything other than it's supposedly the return of the nine. And the other thing we have to understand is that the context in which that was written, the Mayans and the Aztecs who followed them um, were always concerned about birth and death and the cycle of birth and death. But not because it was about the end of the world. It was about the same as, as we do when we have a new year and an old year. We celebrate a new year. We don't celebrate an old year. Um, and all they used to do was um, extinguish their fires, brush their houses out. They'd all meet with, at the, the bottom of the local pyramid or whatever. They'd climb up it. Somebody would make a few predictions based on looking at planet Venus, where it was. Um, and how it was when it came over the horizon, which is why they needed to build the pyramids to see Venus. Um, and then they'd all go down again and they'd all light a stick of fire from the, the fire that the priest gave them. Go back home, build a new fire, shut the doors and have a party. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so I, if, if 2012, I think we've all fastened on to this for a reason. Now, what I will validate and say is true. If we are all giving this so much attention, there has to be a collective unconscious reason. Um, and I think that is because in general, we have had an event which we can uh, bring in and is synchronous with a period of rapid change and expansion anyway. And now I, I'm very fond of saying that in the last two decades, we have been asleep in the wheelhouse of the Titanic and the iceberg is looming and we have to make some changes. Um, we have a population that has got way out of hand. We, we're, we've got climate change coming in. We have to find ways of feeding a population or, or we face problems and difficulties in the future over that. Um, and so for me, OK, yeah, this difficult stuff. Great. We've got this Mayan thing that makes us all look at it. OK. When I looked at the actual astrology of it, I saw that, yes, there was some very big astrology about it. With two of our big outer planets, Uranus and Pluto, are at 90 degrees from each other. And traditionally, this means trouble um, because one wants one thing and the other wants another thing. So we have it's as if we have um, the great masculine versus the great feminine. If I'm going to be it's like a dual thing going on. Um, but. If you look at the astrology for the whole era, then you get a lot more information. In actual fact, what we're looking at is something that started in 2008. It was clear that something was going to start in 2008 that was going to continue rolling 
until 2016. Alison, I'm going to hold you right there because we're in our final break and I'd love you to talk about this period 2008 to 2016 when we come back. Sure. It's been a time for awakening to conscious co-creation. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M TV dot com. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I'm having a fascinating discussion today with Alison Chester-Lambert. Alison, perhaps you could let our listeners know uh, your details, your website, and how they can get hold of the book and so on. Yeah, because otherwise they're all going to be left with this cliffhanger, aren't they? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got so much stuff to share that, 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 that at the end of this they'll go, oh, oh, my God, what's the end? <laughs> so, yeah, Alison Chester Lambert, if you Google me, then you'll find me. I've got two websites. I've got a little tiny one that I keep small for little old ladies so they can understand how to pay for readings, which is how I live. And then I've got a much bigger site called the Midland School of Astrology. And there's 495 pages on there of free astrology, all the, the stuff for the future. There's pages and pages about the new planets and what they mean. Um, lots of just lots and lots of different esoteric things. And you don't have to be an astrologer. I'm an astrologer that interprets the astrology and delivers it to people in English. That, that's what I like to do rather than talk gobbledygook. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get let's get back to uh, this period, 2008 to 2016, and just give us some mm-hmm. insight on that. Well, um, the last time we had this particular configuration with Uranus and Pluto at 90 degrees from each other was actually in 1931 to 1934, the early, the, sorry, 1931 to 1934, yeah, the early 30s. 
Um, and of course, that everybody were going. Oh, um, and now, it wasn't the actual war. These were the um, interwar years. But what happened was they created a very rich and fertile opportunity for uh, the Nazi Party, for instance, to get elected um, in Germany. Um, that happened later, but these years were, were the, this fertile period of unrest and seething ferment. Um, and so we need to look at the early 30s and see really what what were the issues, what were the opportunities. Now, there were, I mean, in America, there was a Great Depression. Um, but in, in the UK, for instance, this sounds terrible. In the UK, we were really in a boom. We we're having a great time. We were building houses because we'd taken ourselves out of something called the gold standard. So we weren't tied into gold. Um, so what happened in, in the 30s was that there were great opportunities, but they had to be grabbed. And this, I think, is the lesson when Uranus and Pluto get together. Um, there, it's like you're bobbing around in a huge storm and all sorts of opportunities and things are flashing past you. And this is not a time to look at something that's going past and say, well, I'm not sure I want that coffee table. Is it mahogany or is it oak? I don't know. Turn it over. Let's see before I pick it up. It's a time for going, grab that coffee table, jump on top of it. Oh, this is a nice coffee table. But you know what? If I don't like it, there's a dining table coming along in a minute. Let's leap onto that. And here comes a garden shed. Let's change again. It's about grabbing every opportunity, not looking the gift horse in the mouth, because this time is so rich and fertile that there is very little that comes along that won't be of value. It will simply be about how much can you grab? How much do you feel confident enough to grab? And how much do you feel that you're worth? How much do you feel you deserve it? Um, so I think that's the essence of what's going on. Um, I've got some dates here, actually, because the, um, the, um, the Uranus-Pluto square is going to have seven um, times when it reaches peak strength um in actual fact one of those is next week <laughs> so whoever's listening you're listening at a great time um uh, and if you're listening after to the recording well you know look at what happened in the last week in november um but we already had um two hits we had one in in june 2012 which coincided with the summer solstice and the venus transit we had one in september of 2012 the next one is in, in May of 2013. So the first part of May is going to be full of this very volatile, rich and potentially generative energy. The actual the actual day is the 20th of May, but things happen before then. Um, the 1st of November is the fourth hit. That's the 1st of November 2013. So two weeks before that will be a very rich time. It's my birthday, actually, Alison. Hey! <laughs> I'm going to be an old man on that date. <laughs> aren't you the lucky one? Oh. Um, and then I'll, I'll, there's three more dates, but I won't bore you with all of them. The next one is the 21st of April 2014. There's two more after that, but you can get those in time. You don't need them straight away. And what is the actual date next week, the November one? Next week? Um, all week. Oh, all okay. week is interesting. Um, we've got another planet getting into the mix. Mars goes conjunct Pluto. And so everything that, that Pluto and Uranus are arguing about, Mars will add fuel and fire to. Um, if I shall I just give you a little just tell me when to stop. But I've got a few keywords here for Uranus and a few keywords for Pluto um, and a few things that I think may emerge as the matter of fact, real actual things that's going okay, to happen. You've got two minutes. 
Okay. Well, we're looking at IT. I think we're looking at technology and IT, and I think we may be looking at breakdowns and issues and hiccups. So I think it's I think anybody that's listening, back up your systems, <laughs> get your get everything double backed up. Um, I think we're looking at um, finances, world finances, global finances. They they keep coming up. So, I mean, we look out for the news for stuff like that. Um, and I think as the spiritual effects, I, I think, as I've said, it, it, it is about grabbing hold of things and recognizing that there is something going on between nature, power, instinctive forces of nature versus how we think we control that. Human ideologies, science and revolution, um, democracy, liberty, all of those things are going against the natural forces of nature. Um, so birth and death matters come up, but not literal birth and death. Birth and death matters in as in letting something go so that something new can be created. Have a, understand that you have to have a pruning of the rose bush so that you can have new growth. That, that actually is a great a great conclusion because we are at the end of our time. But you've you've covered a tremendous amount of ground, and I'm going to listen to this show with great interest in the uh, in the next few days because I, I know I know that this last week in November is very critical, and uh -huh. uh, and in some ways we're already into this uh, maelstrom of events, aren't we? It's it's actually fantastic. So <laughs> exciting! It. So yeah. exciting! Yeah. Well, thank you so much for today. You've done a wonderful job in in bringing us up to date, and I really appreciate your time. I have loved it. Thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I'm coming into a wonderful series of guests in the next uh, four weeks. Uh, Neil Kramer is next week, and he is has a wonderful insight into the mind matrix and how we need to be very much in our heart and heart-centered for this uh, time ahead. And so please do join me next week with Neil Kramer. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Alison. Uh, have a wonderful week. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Have a wonderful day tomorrow and shopping on Friday. It's Peter Town for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring please join host peter tongue for another edition of awakening to conscious creation next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time noon pacific time on seventh wave network